All right, guys. Well, it's almost Christmas time. We're hitting that week before Christmas when uh, everybody goes crazy. Uh, this weather is going to be crazy, so I want to remind you again that uh, if you are in need of some help getting your pipes and stuff ready, uh, please let me know today before you leave so that we can kind of put together a schedule and figure out what we need so that we don't uh, run right up on that, um, that moment and not have the supplies we need to fix you up. It's a lot easier to protect them going in than it is to fix them after, so uh, be sure and let us know if you need some help, and we'll be happy to, to do our part to try to minister to you and help you out. Uh, we're going to continue in our series this morning in the book of uh, 1 John. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, we we'll certainly invite you to do so. We'll, we're still in chapter 3. In fact, I want to go back and grab the last verse that we talked about last week and kind of start from there and move through this section that uh, reminds us of the transformation that Jesus brings to our hearts and our lives. And, and I just want to remind you that as we look at this passage, there are several parts of it that, that make it sound almost like the, that this thing with God is a works thing for you and I, and, and it's not. This is a relationship that is begun by grace, it is continued by grace, and by God's grace, it will culminate in our being with the Lord forever and ever. But having said that, there is a part of this that, that our response is always seen and known through our actions. And so John's going to talk today about how that this, these two things link together, our relationship with the Lord, but also these actions that flow out of it. And if, if like John has said her, earlier in this, in this book, if, if you say that you walk with Jesus, but you don't walk with Jesus, then you're just fooling yourself. If you say that you love God with all of your heart, but you can't love the people that God's created, then you're just fooling yourself. And so John's going to try to bring these, these concepts together that, that there's this heart thing that's got to go on inside of us, but that heart thing always works its way out into our behavior. Sadly, some of the meanest people that I've met are people who proclaim to be Christians. They, and, and I say they because I, I can fall into that category too where you just, you just don't get it right sometimes. And, and it's easy to grow jaded. It's easy to grow frustrated with our world. It's easy to see it as a us-against-the-world kind of mentality, and that's really not what John's focusing on here. John's going to focus on the heart and show us how that that God's grace transforms us into people that we could not be apart from his grace so that we can then represent him well in our world. And part of that representing him well is to learn how to love those that are different than us, to love those that uh, are opposed to us. And John would even say here today to love those that hate us. Uh, and the reason that we do that is going to flow out of this relationship with Jesus. And he has set the example for us. So today in, in 1 John chapter 3... I want to begin uh, in verse uh, 10, and, and John's going to try to tie together some of these things that he's been talking about, these, these, the way that, that God works in us, the way that he stirs our hearts, the way that he changes us, the way that he delivers us from the bonds of sin. And then he's going to say, and the evidence of that is in this relationship with Jesus that makes us love other people. So he says in verse 10, he says, by this, it is evident who the children of God are, and who are children of the devil. So he's been con contrasting. Remember last week we were talking about the contrast between those who belong to the Lord and those who do not. And he says, here's how we know. Here's how it's evident who belongs to God and, and who does not. And he says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So here he's bringing together this, this, these righteous acts, this obedience this, that's uh, uh, made possible through grace, 
with this love that flows, and he ties these two things together. So he's kind of transitioning in verse 10, kind of ties together what he's talked about. We talked about last week with what he's going to focus upon this week. And so he says, listen, there's, there's evidence of who, who belongs to God and who belongs to the, the devil. And he says, those that don't practice righteousness, those that say, oh, I, I know God, but I can live in sin, that's not them. And, and nor are those who do not love their brother. And then he says in verse 11, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. Now, he's not going to tell them something brand new. He's not introducing some secret knowledge that nobody's ever heard of. Remember, the Gnostics of that day were trying to, 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 to say to people, we've got secret knowledge, and if you just have our knowledge, then you're going to be in the end group. And he says, no, no, the message that I proclaim is no different than the message we've heard from the very beginning. He's not just talking about the very beginning of, of Christ and, and his life on earth and his ministry and his message, but he's going to take us all the way back to the Old Testament, to Genesis chapter 4, where he's going to, to remind us of, of this brotherly rivalry that took place in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve gave birth to two children, Cain and Abel, and he's going to take us back to that as an example. So here he says, this is a message that you've heard from the beginning, and this is it, that we should love one another. Christmas is the time where God demonstrated his love toward us and that he sent his son to die on the cross. The Bible says while we were still sinners, enemies of God, he sent his son. In other words, he didn't wait for you and I to get good enough. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait for us to perfect our lives and and come before the Lord. He says to us, I come to you in your mess. I come to you in your sin and I come to rescue you from that. It's one of the reasons here at Crossroads that we stress, it's not about what you wear. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about how big or fancy your house is. God's not looking at all that stuff. God is looking at our hearts. And that's what matters to him. It's not about how much money you have. That doesn't matter to God. In fact, everything that you've got, guess who gave it to you? God did. So if you're rich... Or if you've got a nice car or a big house, you need to see those things as instruments that God has given to you, blessings that God's poured out upon you. And you need to be asking the question, how do I use this to love others? How can I take what God's given me and use that to be a blessing to other people? That ought to be the way that we see our stuff. And so he says, this is not a new message. It's one that's been around from the very beginning. And the message is this, that we should love one another. Now he's going to illustrate the opposite of that. There's two brothers, Cain and Abel, in Genesis chapter 4. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Think about this story. If we go back to Genesis chapter 4, and we read the story of, of Cain and Abel, and I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but, but the story of Cain and Abel is that Adam and Eve were, were, uh, were created by God, placed in the garden. They sinned, and, and God moved them out of the garden. And it wasn't long before Adam and Eve had two sons. And, and in Genesis chapter 4, it lets us know that these two, these two boys were brothers. And it says that Cain brought to the Lord, this is verse 3, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first fruits of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. 
Now, we're not told what the difference was in the offerings. One was a grain offering and, and one was an animal offering, and it wasn't that one was more important or one was more costly. Uh, he, he may be indicating here in this passage that, that the fact that, that, that Abel brings forth his first fruits is a faith gift. He, he comes in, and when you, when you read in Scripture about somebody giving of their first fruits, what that's talking about is that their, their very first part of their harvest, they give to the Lord trusting that God's going to give them more. And it's a faith act. But, but even that, what I, what I think is going on here as we read the story of Cain and Abel, and then as we also read here in 1 John as he brings that story back to the, the front of our minds, is that there was something deeper going on here. There was a relationship that Abel had with God. And it was a grace relationship. Abel was not perfect. His parents were not perfect. He, he was not sinless. He was not uh, a person that, that lived this perfect life and his brother got jealous. But he is a, a man who has a relationship with, with the Lord. And, and this relationship with God is growing and he comes to God and gives God the very first of what he has. Cain, however, lacked that intimate relationship with God. He still brings God an offering. So both brothers bring an offering, and we know it's not the offering that made the difference. What makes the difference was the heart behind the offering. And so we have these two brothers that are here, and, 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 and they both bring offerings, and, and one of the brothers is acceptable to the Lord. Look, the Lord had regard for Abel, not just for his offering, but for Abel and for the heart behind this offering, the heart behind the, the, the love in which compelled that offering. But for Cain... And for Cain's offering, he had no regard. So Cain is not in fellowship with God here. He is not in this right relationship with God. And Cain was angry that God had rejected him and rejected his offering. And it says that his face fell. And the Lord comes to me in verse 6 and says, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? And then listen to the grace behind the statement. He says, Cain, if you will do well, will you not be accepted? So Cain has failed. And yet grace is there willing to cover that failure. And he's saying, Cain, get your heart right. And everything you do will be acceptable to me. But if your heart remains wrong, then no amount of offering is going to be acceptable to me. We, we need to hear that message today. This is not a message of works, but it's a message about our heart saying, get your heart right. And then what you do before the Lord will be acceptable to God. If my heart's not right. And I bring a million-dollar donation for the Mountain Church. But my heart's not right. That gift is not what God wants it to be. So he's talking here about their hearts. And he's saying to, to Cain, look, Cain, if you'll just get your heart right, will you not be accepted? And, and if you do not do that, I need to warn you, he says, that sin is crouching at the door. And it desires, the NIV says, it desires to master you. It, it desires to control you, but you must master it or you must rule over it. So here's God meeting Cain and, and, and trying to, 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 to bring him back into this relationship with him, to try to woo him into this personal relationship with him. And, and, and Cain's going to refuse that. Cain's going to follow his, his, his own flesh instead of following the advice that the Lord gives him. And and he lures his brother out into the field, the scripture says. He says to his brother, let's go out in the field. And he takes his brother out in the field and he kills his brother there in the field. And God comes looking for him just like he looked for his parents when they had sinned. He says, hey, what, are you, what have you done? And 
And God pronounces a curse upon Cain, just like he did upon Adam and Eve. And part of that curse is that the, the, the ground will no longer yield to him its strength, and, and, and he'll be a fugitive and a, and a wanderer upon the earth. And he whines that that's too strong of a punishment. Verse 14 says that Cain understood that until this relationship changed, God's face would be hidden from him. And then probably the saddest verse in this passage is verse 16. It says, And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled. He settled in the land of Nod. How many times have we walked away from the presence of the Lord and just settled? That's what Cain was doing. And so when we go back to 1 John, we read about this, this, this story. He says, listen, I want you to love one another. I don't want you to be like Cain who, who had this opportunity, who had grace extended to him, who, who God wanted to be gracious upon him so that he can then in turn be gracious to his brother. But instead, this jealousy and this anger sets in. Cain's uh, brother's offering is acceptable and his offering is not. And so what does he do? He, he does what we do. He does what's common in our day. Not change your heart. But eliminate the competition. Defect the light. Take the light and, and, and get it off of me and let's put it on something else. And so he goes and instead of getting his heart right with God, he just eliminates his brother. And he's going to say here, that's not love. Why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds and, and honestly his own heart were evil. But his brother's we're righteous. It goes deeper, though. Look back at, at verse 12. It says, don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one. Who did Cain belong to? Not to the Lord. doesn't say he's a child of God. He says he's a child of the evil one. And that led him to murder his brother. There is a heart issue at play here. And he's saying to us that if we're going to love one another the way that God calls us to love one another, it's going to be a heart thing that's got to start in the heart. It can't just start on the outside. How many times, how many times do we have this issue with somebody in our, in our circle? And yet when they come up, what do we do? We smile, we hug them and say, man, good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. And we pretend for that 30 seconds that everything is perfect. And we know in our heart that it's not. We, we know in our hearts that these relationships can be improved, they can be better, and, and yet instead of showing grace to them the way that we've been shown grace, we just smile and pretend that everything's right when it's not. Can you imagine Cain going to his brother and saying, hey man, I, that's pretty cool that God accepted your gift, but not mine. Let's take a walk in the field, man. I just want to pick your brain a little bit and see kind of what, what you were thinking and why God accepted your gift and why he didn't. And, and, and can't you imagine just this smile and this arm around him saying, hey, let me lead you out there, you know? And it's kind of like that friend that comes up and they, they pat you on the back, and the whole time they're patting you on the back, they're trying to find a soft spot to stick the knife. And that's what they're doing. Let's take a walk. Man, I love you, brother. Let's take a walk. And he gets him out in the field, and he kills him. So that's not what we need to be like. He was of the evil one. It was a heart issue. And that led to, his evil heart led to evil actions. And why did he do it? Because he was jealous of his brother who had been accepted by God and was in relationship with God. And yet he wasn't. And then John's going to take this a step farther. In verse 13 he says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 
If you're in right relationship with me and the world is not, don't you be surprised if their response to you is not similar to Cain's response to Abel. If, if, if you're in right relationship with me and you're trying to do what I'm calling you to do and this world is headed in a completely different direction, don't you be surprised if the world doesn't respond to you the way that, that Cain responded to Abel. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. I don't know how many times I've read that. I mean, when I preach these, these, these books of the Bible, I read through them again and again and again and again and again, trying to, to understand all that's packed into this. And, and as I read this this week again, I, this, this part step just jumped out at me. We know that we have passed out of death into life. That is a miraculous feat that only God can accomplish. Listen, you, you don't pass out of death into life. What does this world do? It goes from life to death. God is reversing that. God is changing that. God wants to completely rework us and, and reborn us, rebirth us. And, 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 and this is a, a process that is a, a grace process. The only way that we pass out of death into life is that God takes us out of death and he places us in a right relationship with him. It's a grace thing from start to finish. It's easy to read this and say, well, listen, I just want to tell you, I used to live like that and now I've changed and I'm doing different. Look at me. That's not at all what John's saying. We have passed from death to life. You know how? Because God plucked us out of the hands of the enemy and he's placed us within his family. Not because we were good, not because we had it all together, but because that's what the grace of God does. It, it, it takes us out of death and it moves us into life. And we know that that's happened. Why? Because our heart went with it. Our heart was changed. We, we, we used to be like Cain who held a grudge against anybody that got a step ahead of us. Anybody that, that received a little more recognition or a little more respect or a little more money or a little more whatever, we, we, would, we would tend to look at that and go, oh, why them and not me? But when God takes us out of death and places us into himself, into life, our hearts begin to change. And now instead of begrudging everybody, we can actually celebrate with others. We can love the brothers. So our world moves from, from life to death. And, and we have been taken out of death and placed into light. And he says, don't, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked if the world hates you for that. So there's a lot of different things he's contrasting here. The, 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 the brothers, Cain and Abel, had two different masters. They had two different responses. One was evil and one was righteous. And their actions were revealing their hearts. And their evil tries to extinguish good. And he says, don't be surprised if that happens to you. So he's talking about in two different hearts. Look at this. He says, look, look at the way he describes the difference between the world and us. He says, the world will hate. But we as believers will love. Whoever does not love, verse 14 abides in death you're still hanging out in death if you refuse to love if you don't love then, then you're fooling yourself to think that somehow you've been brought into this family of life you, you you fool yourself to be thinking that you've passed out of death into life if you don't love because whoever loves is of this light and in this life 
And so he contrasts two different, contrasts two different results here. So a lot of contrast, two different masters, two different uh, uh, hearts, two different actions, uh, and now two different results. One that will abide forever with the Lord and one that still abides in death. And listen, there's no room for pride in any of this. Because what is taking place is a supernatural thing that God does through grace. If you're a person with a big heart that loves people, and you're doing that because of what God has shown to you, don't grow prideful in that. Remember where you came from. You were once that enemy of God. And now you've been made a child of God. And that wasn't by your doing, that was by God's doing. And so even as we see these transitions begin to take place in our life, and even though these transitions are are evidence of of a new life, and evidence that that God is at work, and evidence, as he'll say here in a minute, that God's Spirit lives inside of us, and even though he gives us all these, these changes that come our way, and things that we can see and that we can recognize, and we can go, wow, I'm not who I used to be. I may not be who I'm going to be, but I'm not who I used to be. We still don't grow prideful in that because we recognize that as being the work of the Lord and the work of God's grace from start to finish. So he says, look, if if you don't love, then you're not, you're still abiding in death. And look what he says here. Everyone who hates, he's going back to the story of Cain and Abel. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Jesus equated hate and murder. He says, you've heard that it said, don't, don't you murder. But I'm telling you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Jesus equates those two things. John picks up on that here, and he, he, he does the same thing. He says, listen, when you hate somebody, you might as well go ahead and kill them. Now, the law wouldn't say that. But Jesus says it's the same result. If I hate somebody, I close my heart to them. And when I love them, I open my heart to them. And so he's saying here, listen, this this work that God does is is a work to reassure us of our relationship with God, but it's never to make us prideful. It's never to make us think, look at me and look at what I've done and look at all the things that I've accomplished. And I've got to be honest with you, this is something that I've struggled with over the years. It's something, as I've looked at my life and compared it to other people's lives, I say, well, I just made some good choices and, and look at how God's blessed. Not recognizing and not realizing and certainly not admitting that even the desire to make the right choice, the strength to make the right choice, that all had to come from the Lord. That wasn't that Rob was just born a good guy. And it's not even that Rob's become a good guy. But it's, it's that God gives us grace and places us where we are. And allows us to do the things that we do. So even if we've made some good choices and those around us have made poorer choices and, and we're, we're experiencing the blessing of God and, and, and they're experiencing the, the lack of God's blessing, it, it is not a prideful thing. It's something that we need to recognize and say, you know what, Lord, only by your grace have I ended up here. And but for the grace of God, I would have ended up there. So even as we celebrate what God is doing in us, it can't become a prideful issue. When it becomes prideful, it develops into a hatred, and a hatred is, is this closing ourselves off to other people. So he says, listen, we need to love one another. And then in verse 16, he helps us to see how we even know what love is. How, how do we know what love really looks like? Do I look to Hollywood to define what love is? No. Do, do I turn to internet porn 
to show me what love is? No. Do I read romance novels and, oh, that tells me what love really looks like? No. How do we know what love, true love, really looks like? We've we've got to look to Jesus. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. You know why we give gifts to one another at Christmas? Because it's a reflection of the gift that, that God gave for us. We give because he gives. Now, we get carried away with that sometimes, don't we? But here he's going to say, you, you, you can't belong to God and, 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 and harbor this hatred in your heart. So here's how we know what love is. Look at verse 16. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. You want to know what love looks like? You just need to look at the cross. And and you look at the cross and you go, that's an amazing love. It's an undeserved love. It is a sacrificial love. It is a selfless love. It is a love that looked on somebody that did not deserve it and said, I'm going to love you anyway. And he's saying, you want to know what love is? you got to look at the cross. And don't let the world define it for you. Because here's, here's what would happen is we will, we will surround ourselves with people who may love just a little bit less than we love, and we feel good about the love that we're giving to other people. Isn't that true? And say, if you want to feel skinny, just hang out with fat people. Okay? You want to feel like a generous, loving person, just hang around people that don't do it quite as good as you. And then you compare yourself to them and you go, wow, I'm a really good person. What we need to be doing is putting ourselves up against Jesus and saying, who am I willing to lay my life down for? Who am I willing to love the way that Jesus loved? Who is it that's out there that's my enemy that I've just been keeping at arm's distance and saying, I'll I'll smile and say, God bless you, but you're not getting close. Is that loving them the way that Jesus loved them? Who is it that's so hard for me to love? And the last thing I would do would be to lay down my life for them. How do we know what love is? Here it is. We look at what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us. And John says, oh, by the way, we ought to lay our lives down for others. We ought to be willing to do what Jesus did. Now, the world does not need another Savior to die on the cross. Jesus hasn't called us to be another Savior that dies on the cross. But he has told us to lay down our lives for others. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He has called us to put people above our possessions. That's a real measure of how much we love one another. Well, I love you, brother. I love you. What what does James say about that? James says that that, that where is the love of God? (laughs) You know, let me me turn to this passage in James chapter 2. 
And listen to what, what James says. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If you see a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, well, go in peace, brother. Stay warm. Be well fed. But you don't give them the things that are needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is is dead. John is saying to us here, listen, this is what Jesus did to show you what love is, to define for you and to illustrate for you and and to set an example for you of what faith is. This is what Jesus did, and you and I need to do the same thing. And he says, look, if if anyone anyone has the world's goods and he sees his brother in need, we're back in verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet he closes his heart against him, How does the love of God abide in him? Think about what John's saying. God's blessed you. He's given you all that you have. And you see somebody in need. And the best that you have to offer that person are cliches and words. I see somebody here. Venton, Louisiana this week, man. They don't own a coat. They don't own clothes. They're living in a tent. And I drive by and I holler out the window, Hey, brother, stay warm. Be well fed. He says, where's the love of God in that? What if God had just hollered from heaven, Hey, guys, I see you in your sin. I see you down there struggling. Good luck. And left it at that. But that's not what God did. What did God do? He left the glory of heaven. And he took on flesh, born of a virgin, took on flesh and lived and died for us. He didn't just holler from heaven, good luck. Hope you make it. He entered our world. He met our need. And let me just take this and apply it to grace. He's talking here about the world's goods. If we, if we have possessions and we see somebody or we hear of somebody in need, or we sense the Holy Spirit prompting us to, to do something for somebody, and we go, mm, yeah, just, they'll be all right. Good luck, brother. He says, where's the love in that? But look what he says. He sees his brother in need, and look what happens. He closes his what? heart this is believers take their heart and they open it to others non-believers see the need same need and they close their heart and say no no this is this is mine i've worked hard for this i've earned this i deserve this this is mine believers say everything i have it's the lord's if i've got it and you need it, it it's yours and that's the way that we live. Non-believers live with this closed heart against the needs of others. Believers live with this open heart that says, man, God's given me this, and I'll share it with you. What about grace? Have you been given grace? Have you been shown grace when you did not deserve it? 
before the Lord. Were you deserving when God found you? When God saved you? When he brought you into his family? Were were you deserving of that? And you got your life cleaned up and, 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 and you learn all the proper decor of how to behave and you never missed a beat and you were perfect from then on? Not at all. Where did Jesus find you? What kind of mess were you in when he found you? All right. So you've been given grace. And now you see somebody else who needs grace. Are you going to open your heart to them? Or are you going to close it? John's saying believers will open their heart. Why? Because Jesus showed us how to do that. He, he didn't just shout from heaven, good luck. Clean up your life. Get it together. Follow the rules. He came to us. And he took on flesh. And he showed us what it looked like to lay down our life for another. Long before Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus had laid down his life. It's the only way Jesus could have said in the garden, Father, not my will, but your will. You know why? Because he had laid down his life already. And and you and I are fooling ourselves if we think, man, if somebody walked into the church today and said, if you're a believer in Jesus, stand up and I'm going to kill you. And I'd stand up for Jesus. But I won't love my neighbor. We're fooling ourselves. Some of us are waiting for that big moment to show the world how true we are to Christ. And yet we won't love the world in the small, little bitty things of life. And we're fooling ourselves. Fooling ourselves if we think we're going to do it on the big day and we're not doing it in the day-to-day. And so James says here, look, or John says here, look, he says, this is what we know what love is. And by the way, we need to be doing that ourselves. But if, if you see someone in need and, and, and you're not willing to give them what you've been given, then where does the love of God, how is the love of God even in you? So here's the difference. Verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk. God bless you, brother. Good luck. Stay warm. Be well fed. That's the talk. That's the word. But instead, let us love in deed and in truth from the heart. You've been blessed. You know why? We've been blessed to be a blessing. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. Because God has poured out so much grace upon us that we should then pour out that grace upon others. So let us love in word. Not not just in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Because words mean nothing without the actions to prove them. By this... By this genuine, authentic love, he says, we shall know that we are of the truth, and it will reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God's greater than our heart, and he knows everything. That sounds really confusing to me when I first read it. But I think this is what John is saying. There are things that that God will do in your heart to reassure you that you're his. But but even in that reassurance, there's going to be moments when you fail, and moments when your heart condemns you, and moments when you don't get it right. Moments when God brings a need before you and your heart closes instead of opening and the opportunity's missed. And your heart's going to go, yeah, you blew it. Even then, grace is available because God is greater 
than our hearts that condemn us. This, this passage is grace from start to finish. He's saying, listen, God, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. He knows all about that, that missed opportunity, all about that sin, all about that, that, that selfishness that crept in and kept us from meeting a need when we, we said, oh, man, I can, I, <laughs> I can get that new fishing pole I want. Dalton. <clears throat> Dalton has about five times more fish poles than I've got. That's not fair. I can have this thing that I've been saving up for that I want. Or I can meet that need. And sometimes if we're honest, we just go selfish. And we let stuff take the place of people. We, we let our possessions be more of a priority to us than the people around us. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. When Daniel and Stephanie were here, uh, I came in one day, I'd been out doing something, and I came back home, and the, all the kids were playing and, and, and running around, and uh, I noticed on the floor the handle to my recliner, and it had been loose, and I'd take it off, and, and I, this has got a little screw you tighten it up with, but I hadn't done that yet, and I'd take it off at night, and I'll scratch my back, you know, and put it back on there and use it, and, and anyway, I come in, and that little handle's laying on the floor, and Stephanie says to Avery, she says, tell Papa Rob what you did. And the recliner's still sitting up, the leg rests out, you know, so I know they can't get it back down and they can't figure it out. And she thought she had broke my recliner, you know. And Stephanie thought she had broke my recliner. Tell him what you did. And the head went down, you know. And, and for a little while she just kind of stood there, you know, just kind of paralyzed in this fear that, oh, I broke his recliner and he's going to be mad. And uh, I walk over, I said, oh, I said, my handle fell off again, you know. She looked at it, and, and anyway, I just told her, I said, baby, you didn't break this recliner. This thing's been loose, and, you know, I use a handle and scratch my back kind of thing, and, you know, just kind of play with her a little bit. And she said, I'm sorry. And I pulled her close, and I held her in my arms, and I said, Avery, come here. Because they were playing on the recliner. That's why Stephanie was upset. They were playing, and the handle fell off, and she thought they broke it. And I said, baby, I want you to understand something. Even if you had been playing... And even if you've been horse playing and you broke my recliner, I want you to understand something. You are so much more precious to me than any stinking recliner. So even if something happens and something gets broke, I want you to know there's not one thing I own that's more important to me than you. And I think that's the way God looks at us. We get it wrong sometimes. And we mess some stuff up. And we want to come to God with our head down and just go ahead and tell him. And I think God just kind of lifts our faces and says, look at me. You're worth everything to me. There's, there's nothing more important than this relationship that we have. Do you understand that? Do you understand how much you're loved? And, 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 and that's what he's trying to say here. This is, this is how we know that we love us. And even when our heart condemns us, even when we've blown it, God is greater than that. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. And he says, and, and if you're getting it right and your heart's not condemning you, you, you still have confidence before God. And, and, and you come before the Lord and you know this, that, that, that whatever you ask, you're going to receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. Why do we keep his commandments and why do we do what pleases him? Because by his grace, he's transformed our hearts. It's not a works thing. 
It's a relationship thing. Here's, here's where the confidence comes because we see that God's changed our hearts toward Him. We want to keep His commandments. We want to do what pleases Him. Philippians 2.13 is, it says that God works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And John's building upon that here. He's saying, listen, even if you're getting it right, you're getting it right because He's changed your heart. And He's given you that desire to get it right. And this is the commandment. This is what God wants of us. These are the commandments that we keep. Number one, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. We read the name Jesus Christ and think it's kind of like a, a, just a middle name. You know, we, when you're in trouble. When Mama used to call me by my middle name, you knew. We were, we were in trouble. Uh, that's not Jesus Christ. That's not His middle name. Jesus is, is the name that was given to him there, but Christ is that word for Messiah. You're believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the answer, not some secret Gnostic mystical solution, but that Jesus is the answer to our sin. That's what we need to believe. And then the second thing that flows out of that belief is that we are to love one another just as he has commanded us and taught us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in the Lord, not in death. Remember he said back here in, in verse uh, 14, whoever does not love abides in death. Well, here's saying, whoever keeps that commandment to love one another, to believe in Jesus, he abides in God and God abides in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given to us. So as I wrap this up today, let me give you just some quick, quick bullet points. You may not even be able to grab them and write them all down, but maybe one or two of these things will stick. Here's Here's grace from start to finish. And there's seven blessings of, of grace that I see in this passage. Number one is that by grace, he makes me to know his will. He says in the very beginning, this is a message that you've heard. This is it. You, God lets us know his will. He makes no, God's not playing hide and seek with you. He wants you to know his will because he wants you to live and abide in his will. So the first obvious uh, blessing of grace is that God makes known his will to us. And that will is that we love one another. Without grace, that's going to be impossible. So the first blessing of grace is that I can know God's will, which is to love one another. The second blessing of grace is that it makes it possible for me to love even my enemies that have opposed me and that offend me. It makes it possible for me to love my enemies. He says there in, in verse 12 or 13, that the world's going to hate you, but you need to love it. The world's going to hate you, but you've got to love those around you. The world's going to oppose you. You need to, to respond with love. And so he makes it possible for us to love our enemies who oppose us. And that can only be done by grace. The third blessing is that he shows us what real love looks like. He says, this is what love is. Jesus laid down his life for you. Now you go and do the same for others. And by the way, not just for those that are your buddies, but you do it for those that you don't understand. You do it for those who, who, who are living a lifestyle different than your lifestyle. You do it for those who have opposed you and who have come against you. And you love them. And so he shows us what real love looks like. He helps us to live this selfless life instead of this selfish life. He's provided us not only the example, but the inspiration to do that in our lives. He gives us the ability to open our hearts instead of that natural tendency to close our hearts. The fourth thing is that he grants us the desire to love and to serve others. 
This grace that he's poured out on us wells up within us. Listen, guys, we are not called to, to be these depositories that grace is just deposited in us and we just keep it. We are called to be distributors of that grace, to be conduit through which that grace flows to the world around us. And so he is the one that grants us the desire to love and to serve others. As the grace wells up, we pour it out on the lives of others. And so you're going to come across some people this week that you look at and say are not deserving of your love. And that's the one you need to love the most. The person who needs grace the most is the one who deserves grace the least. How do I know that? Because that was me. And that was you. When Jesus found you, you were not the Virgin Mary. You were not the Messiah of the world. You were a sinner, lost and trapped in sin. And Jesus came to you in your filth, and he loved you, and he poured out grace upon you. And then he looks at you and says, now you go and do the same. He grants us the desire to do it because we recognize the grace that he's poured out on us. The fifth blessing of grace is that he assures us that we are his. He reassures our heart for him. Even when our heart condemns us, even when our heart fails and falls short, he reassures us again and again and again that we are his, even when we fall short. Even in your sin, you remain this undeserving recipient of grace. And I don't know about you, I need that every single day. The sixth thing that's a blessing of grace is that by grace, he lives within us. That means he's not working from the outside trying to clean up and peel back the onion. He starts at the heart and changes a heart. And out of that changed heart flows a changed life. If you're struggling with stuff on the outside, guess what? The real issue is not out there. Listen to me. This is important. If you're wrestling with stuff on the outside, that's a sign that there's something wrong on the inside. Start where God starts. Saying, Lord, lay my heart bare. Show me what you really see and what we need to do on the inside so that those outside things can begin to change. Because here's what will happen. If you just try to change the outside thing, you're going to fix one outside problem and, and find another and find another and find another and find another. And by the time you make it around the circle, some more have popped up and you're just going to keep spinning in life. But if you can bring your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to change my heart from the inside out by living in, within me and, and by changing me from the inside out, then as your heart changes, those actions begin to change. Because God starts on the inside. Listen, you can go to therapy all day long. You know what a therapist is going to do? They're going to start on the outside. Well, let's talk about your childhood. Let's talk about this disaster. Let's talk about that, that incident. And they just start on the outside. And what God says is, bring me your brokenness and bring me that shattered heart. And let me put that heart back together. Let me fill it and cover it by grace. And when I do that, then there's something that you've got now you can give to the world. And those who've been changed by grace can finally offer grace. And that's the seventh blessing, is that by grace, we can be gracious. 
by God's grace, we can be gracious to others. Because a grace that is understood becomes a grace that is offered. If you're not offering grace to those around you, then chances are you don't really understand grace. Because once we understand how gracious God has been to us, how can we not then be just as gracious to those around us? A grace that's understood becomes a grace that is given away. So let's be dispensers of grace and not just depositories. Let's give what we have received to those around us, whether they are deserving or not, because I guarantee you this, I was not deserving when God found me, and neither were you. But by his grace, he came anyway. And his love took a long, long time to break through. Just now, really beginning to understand what grace is really like. So give what you've received. And watch how it changes you. And watch how it changes your world. Because it was grace that changed us. So in this passage, John's saying, look, don't grow prideful. Just be grateful for what God has done for you. Recognize the grace that he has given to you through his son. And then turn around and offer that grace to every person you can. See somebody in need? Open up your heart. The world's going to tell you, close it down. Jesus showed us what it meant to open up our heart. And let's live like that. Listen, this Christmas season, opportunities will abound. For some people, what they need is not a gift that you buy and place under a tree. For some people, what what they need the most is a friend that will just stop by and say, let's visit. How are you? For those who are facing the holidays without the loved ones that they've had with them for a long time, a friend stopping by would mean the world. Don't close your heart to those opportunities. Don't close your heart to those, those opportunities to just meet people where they are and to, to love them. Find a way to make a difference. Find a way to show the love of Christ. And as the Holy Spirit who's living inside of you prompts you to do something, do not close your heart, but open it up to others around you. Dalton mentioned that we're, we're collecting money for the Mountain Church. And, and I would love for our church just to be a blessing to them this this season, if they could start off next year with a little bit extra in the, in, in, in the pot and to be able to, to get some of the things that they're needing to do done so that their church can continue to grow. What, what a pity it would be for our church to be blessed the way that we are and for us to close our heart to a sister church that could use our help. Let's, let's be what God's called us to be and let's love them the way that God's called us to love them. And if there's somebody in your world that you've just shut out because they've hurt you or they've disappointed you or or whatever, let's make that right. And let's love the way that Jesus loved, even if they're not deserving, because that's the ones that need grace the most. Let's pray together.